This is the Best Song Podcast, an oral history of the first 90 years of the Academy Award for Best Original Song. The Best Song Podcast was made possible by the generous support of the following. Paulus Edukas, Terry Freerks, Tina Fry, Jeff Glazer, Mark Hollingsworth, Douglas Meacham, Mark Smith, The Sokolov Family, Colin Stokes, Adrian Quinn Washington, and Ben Watson. Let's settle in now for another year in movie music with host Jeff Cummings. For the past three years, we had some pretty good songs nominated for an Academy Award that came from original musicals. It was a good sign that musicals were coming back to movie screens after reality and seriousness started to rule the screen in the early 1960s. With movies like Mary Poppins, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Funny Girl, and Oliver raking in the door at the box office, it looked like musicals were going to have a long resurgence. That did remain true in 1969, with the film adaptation of Hello, Dolly! being the big draw, thanks to the appearance of newly minted Oscar winner Barbara Streisand. There was another film adaptation of a stage musical that year, and I'm not sure I want to highlight Painter Wagon, which featured Lee Marvin and Clint Eastwood trying their best to sing and not really doing it. However, with all of the film adaptations of Broadway musicals muscling their way into movie theaters in 1969, we only got one major original musical that year, and it didn't get any of its songs into the best song category. What that gives us are five nominated songs that do not come from musicals, making 1969 one of those rare years in the first 36 years of the best song category that a musical is not represented. The year 1969 is significant in music history as the year that the music festival Woodstock took place in August in upstate New York. The three-day event featured some of the top artists in folk and rock music, including Janis Joplin, The Grateful Dead, The Who, Joe Cocker, and Jimi Hendrix. Many of the artists were popular in the youth counterculture of the time, and their songs were often veiled protests of the Vietnam War with the mindset of peace and love. When you listen to the Oscar-nominated songs of 1969, it'll be important to note how opposite they are to the popular music of the time, even if one of the songs did enjoy some time at number one on the Billboard chart. Now before we go on, remember that big plot details will be revealed throughout this episode. The most successful nominated song of 1969 appeared in the biggest hit of the year, which brought together two actors who seemed destined to be on the movie screen together. The movie was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a retelling of the exploits of the two Western outlaws in 1899. At the time, the film critics were not too kind to stars Paul Newman and Robert Redford, but time has changed the way the film has been received. And the Academy seemed to not regard the reviews too highly, giving Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid seven award nominations. Redford and Newman were not among those nominees, but composer Burt Bacharach was, getting two of them for his original score and for co-writing the song, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. The song comes out of the blue, 27 minutes into the movie, when our outlaws have just robbed a train and are celebrating in their own ways. Sundance spends the night with his girlfriend, Etta, played by Catherine Ross. Butch also enjoys the company of a young lady, and the next day we see him riding a bicycle he just bought. While Sundance sleeps, Butch takes Etta for a ride on the bicycle, a mode of transportation which Butch calls the future. The song plays during that ride, and we hear about someone who is happy despite falling rain that could threaten to spoil the day. But we don't see any rain on screen. There's going to be an instrumental middle section featuring some hijinks by Butch on the bicycle as Catherine Ross looks on. Then Butch taunts a bull who chases him as the song finishes. Raindrops keep falling on my head And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed Nothing seems to fit Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling So I just did me some talking to the sun And 
And I said I didn't like the way he got things done Sleeping on the job Those raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling But there's one thing I know The blues they send to meet me Won't defeat me It won't be long till happiness steps up to greet me Raindrops keep falling on my head But that doesn't mean my eyes will soon be turning red Cry is not for me Cups I'm never gonna stop the rain by complaining Because I'm free Nothing's worrying me At the time, Raindrops was well-loved by just about everyone, except Robert Redford. In a 2019 interview during the 50th anniversary of the movie, Redford recalled, quote, When the film was released, I was highly critical of the song. How did the song fit with the film? There was no rain. At the time, it seemed like a dumb idea. How wrong I was. End quote. B.J. Thomas sang the song in the film, but he wasn't the first choice. Bacharach wanted to have Ray Stevens sing, but Stevens declined. Stevens would have used his crossover appeal in the country and pop genres to sell the song and to interpret it in a lighter vein, but there's no explanation why he said no. B.J. Thomas was also a crossover artist, having recorded songs in the pop and country genres since starting his career at 24 years old in 1966. Thomas's first hit was a cover of the Hank Williams song, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry, which sold a million copies and earned him a gold record. Raindrops was another million record seller for Thomas, giving him a number one hit in January 1970. According to Thomas, he was suffering from laryngitis when he recorded the song late summer 1969, and was hesitant to record. He got through at least five takes of the song and told Bacharach he could not do another one. But Bacharach liked the raspy sound of the recording and used the final take. Thomas did come back to the studio after his laryngitis had cleared up and recorded another version for record sales. In a 2019 interview, Thomas admitted that he had been addicted to pills and alcohol at the start of his career but the success of this song in particular helped him to get clean in order to keep his career moving in the right direction. It hadn't been easy for movie music to break through the ceiling that rock and roll put up, as well as the rhythm and blues sound that Motown Records had made popular, but with Burt Bacharach's music, it was hard to ignore. Writing the lyrics for the song was Hal David, earning his fourth Oscar nomination in five years for his work with Bacharach. 
The only year that didn't produce an Oscar-nominated song from the duo was 1968, but they had a good reason. They were busy bringing the musical Promises, Promises to Broadway, which opened December 1, 1968, and stayed on Broadway for three years and 1,281 performances. Their go-to singer, Dionne Warwick, helped make the title song a hit on the Billboard charts, but surprisingly, the duo didn't earn a Tony Award for their song score. The Music Recording Academy made up for that, giving Bacharach and David the Grammy for Best Musical Theater Album in 1970. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid continued their hot streak. Burt Bacharach and Hal David were the new Jimmy Van Heusen and Sammy Kahn, with their outputs bringing a more pop element to their new songs. The remaining four nominated songs were, for better or worse, more conventional movie songs, two of them title songs to well-received dramas. The first title song comes from the British movie The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, starring Maggie Smith as an unconventional teacher in the 1930s. She supports the rise of Benito Mussolini in Italy and Francisco Franco of Spain, which in the end gets her fired from a prestigious girls' school in Scotland. The song, which earned the Oscar nomination, is simply called Jean, and the lyrics beckon Jean Brody to come out from the green meadow and enjoy life. The song is performed during the end credits, runs just a minute long, and doesn't have our title character on screen at all. But, now that she's moved on from the school, perhaps she'll do as the song asks, to stand on top of a hill and live her life. Jean, Jean, roses are red All the leaves have gone green And the clouds are so low You can touch them so Come out to the meadow, Jean Jean, Jean, you're young and alive Come out of your half-green dream And run if you will To the top of the hill Open your arms, honey Jean The song was written and performed by American Rod McEwen, who was at the time trying to find his niche in the entertainment business as a poet, folk singer, and songwriter. He won a Grammy for Best Spoken Word Album in 1968 for his poetry readings, and in 1969, he was commissioned by Frank Sinatra to create an album of poems put to song called A Man Alone. It was a modest success. As far as writing music for films, McEwen hit his stride in 1968 when he wrote the score and five songs for a risque British musical called Joanna. That same year, he helped John Williams write a song for the TV movie Heidi. You might not have seen Heidi, but you know it as the movie that interrupted the New York Jets-Oakland Raiders football game in 1968. John Williams won an Emmy for writing the score for the film, but their song, called A Place of My Own, was completely ignored. With his song, Gene, McEwen became the third person to perform the film version of a song and be nominated for writing it, following in the footsteps of Gene Autry and Hoagie Carmichael. McEwen's full-length recording of Gene did fairly well in the United Kingdom and in the United States. In America, it was a number one hit on the adult contemporary charts but not good enough to earn a place on the general Billboard Hot 100. The second title song of the five nominees of 1969 is True Grit, from the Western starring John Wayne as a loner who helps a young girl capture the man who killed her father. Also starring in the movie alongside John Wayne is Glenn Campbell as a Texas Ranger who teams up with Wayne to hunt down the killer. Before we meet any of the characters, We get the title song in the opening credits, when a man sings to the young girl who is the focus of the story. 
He sings that she will find the person who can help her seek justice, and then she'll find the son. Glenn Campbell performs the song, in character as the ranger who wants to assure the girl that his character bonds with in the movie. Sadness will leave your face as soon as you've won your fight to get just a stun. Some days, little girl, you'll wonder what life's about, but others have known few battles are won alone. So you look around to find Someone who's kind Someone who is fearless like you The pain of it Will ease a bit When you find a man with true grit One day you will rise Believe your eyes You wake up and see A world that is fine and free Though summer seems far away You'll find the sun One day Glenn Campbell was a prodigy guitar player since he was four years old and made an early career out of it in Arkansas. In the mid-1960s, he moved to Los Angeles to play guitar and recording sessions with the likes of the Beach Boys, Frank Sinatra, and Elvis Presley. In the meantime, he set his sights on being a singer, and he was moderately successful in that venture. True Grit was Campbell's second movie as an actor, and he got a Golden Globe nomination out of it for Most Promising Newcomer. His recording of the song True Grit was Campbell's most successful song to date, ranking in the top 10 of the Billboard Hot Country Singles of 1969 and in the top 40 of the general Billboard Hot 100. Because there was a talented singer in the cast, songwriters Elmer Bernstein and Don Black had no trouble finding someone to sing their song and crafted the lyrics around Campbell's character. This was Black's first Oscar nomination since winning the Oscar for writing the lyrics to Born Free. But he had been busy since then. Remember, he wrote the lyrics to the Sidney Poitier movie To Sir With Love. And he also wrote forgettable lyrics for other forgettable films in 1967 and 1968. This was his first collaboration with Elmer Bernstein, who was very busy in the late 1960s since his last Oscar nominations for the score to Hawaii and the song My Wishing Doll from that movie. He was lured to Broadway to write the score for the 1968 musical How Now, Dow Jones. The show wasn't a success, but it did give Bernstein his first Tony nomination for Best Original Score. About as far away from a musical about Wall Street can be, True Grit was Bernstein's next score, and he uses the melody from the True Grit song often in the score. The reigning Oscar-winning songwriters, Michelle Legrand and Alan and Marilyn Bergwin, were back for another nominated song in 1969, this time writing the tune, What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life, from the drama The Happy Ending. Unlike the Thomas Crown Affair, which they worked on the year before, the Happy Ending wasn't a popular movie, which didn't help the sales of its song at the time, but it gave another opportunity for Hollywood and the public to hear another lyrical showcase by the Bergmans. The lyric, The Rest of Your Life, finds some great rhymes throughout the song, from the line, West of Your Life, and Request of Your Life, to describe the eternal love that the singer has. The song comes during a montage at the beginning of the film, when young lovers Mary and Fred begin their courtship and fall in love. 
as singer Michael Dees goes through the rhymes that the Bergmans created for him, we see Mary and Fred smiling, kissing, and very much willing to spend the rest of their lives together. What are you doing the rest of your life? North and south and east and west of your life. I have only one request of your life. That you spend it all with me. All the seasons and the times of your days. All the nickels and the dimes of your days Let the reasons and the rhymes of your days All begin and end with me I want to see your face in every kind of light In fields of dawn and forests of the night And when you stand bulk of the film takes place 16 years later, when love has all but disappeared from the marriage and Mary plots to fly off to the Bahamas on her 16th anniversary. There are numerous flashbacks to rocky moments in the marriage, including when Mary is at her lowest point. She goes to her favorite bar and turns on the jukebox. She picks, what are you doing the rest of your life? And there's Michael Dees again, but the song this time has a sadder tone with weeping violins in a minor key. What are you doing the rest of your life? North and south and east and west of your life I have only one request of your life That you spend it all with me All the seasons and the times of your days All the nickels and the dimes of your days Let the reasons and the rhymes of your days All begin and end with me I want to see your face in every kind of light In fields of dawn and forests of the night And when you stand before the candles on a cake Oh, let me be the one to hear the silent wish you Awaken what's asleep in your eyes. 
In an interview done many years later, Marilyn Bergman described the day she and her husband created the song with Michelle Legrand. Again, Michelle wrote a lot of melodies. Nothing was exactly, they were all wonderful, but nothing was exactly right. Nothing really spoke to us. Again, he was staying with us, and we're sitting and working one day, and he's playing melody after beautiful melody and we said to him one of us said what happens if the first line of the song is what are you doing the rest of your life he said I like that he put his hands on the keyboard and as long as it takes to play that melody complicated (laughs) though it is that's how that's what he did he played it and he said you mean something like that? And Alan said, no, exactly, exactly. like that. Play it again. And he said, I don't know, I, I don't know what I... Fortunately, Alan, knowing Michelle, always had the little tape recorder going. Yeah. So we played it back to him. And he said, oh, yeah, you know. And then he played it again. And we said, no, go away. Leave us, leave us Just alone. leave us alone. Because yeah. we knew if he stayed, he would start playing around with it. We said, no, 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 just go, go to a movie, go to two movies. In a separate interview, Marilyn Bergman described the way the song does a complete 180-degree turn from the romantic love song to the introspective ballad that we hear the second time. And this is what she said, quote, when the marriage is over and the wife is an alcoholic, the song tells you what she is thinking about. It asks the ironic question of what's going to happen to the rest of her life. End quote. Many songs have been nominated for Oscars for the genius tactic of turning on a dime from one emotion to another with different performances in the film. And this pulls it off just as well as any we have heard previously. In just two short years, the Bergmans have demonstrated how they were taking the reins of their favorite lyricists, such as Sammy Kahn and bringing that style into the new music era. That's just one of three original songs that are performed in The Happy Ending. The other two are not important to the plot and come during Mary's trip to the Bahamas. One is a Calypso reggae song that could be the national song for the Bahamas Tourism Division called Hurry Up and Hurry Down, complete with steel drums and a man singing with a Caribbean accent. What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life is the only one of those songs to have a life outside the movie. It has been performed more than 300 times over the years, with the first cover version performed by Barbara Streisand for a planned album in 1970. That album didn't get released, but Streisand's version of What Are You Doing the Rest of Your Life that she decided to release in January 1970 became the first in what would be dozens of songs that she will sing by the Bergmans over the years. On June 22, 1969, the entire world mourned the death of Judy Garland, who died in London after an accidental drug overdose. Garland had attempted numerous comebacks in her life, but after her meltdown on the set of The Valley of the Dolls, 
not so ironically a movie whose plot closely mirrored her own life, Garland was persona non grata in Hollywood. Four months after Judy Garland's death, her oldest daughter Liza Minnelli's breakthrough film was released. It was called The Sterile Cuckoo, and even though she was the daughter of a famous singer and a famous musical director, Liza Minnelli's breakthrough movie was not a musical. Minnelli played a quirky college student attracted to a more laid-back student at a nearby college. The performance earned Minnelli her first Academy Award nomination, and Bob Fosse said this performance is what convinced him to consider Minnelli for the role of Sally Bowles in his film adaptation of Cabaret. Minnelli filmed the movie in the fall of 1968 and fought with her mother over taking the role. Garland thought the role of Pookie was too close to Minnelli's character, while Minnelli looked beyond that and said it was a role thousands of actresses would love to play. The Oscar nomination proved Minnelli was right, though it came eight months after her mother died. Many writers believed the nomination was warranted, though there was likely a sympathy vote at play. Also getting an Oscar nomination from The Sterile Cuckoo were composer Fred Carlin and lyricist Dory Previn, who wrote the folk song, Come Saturday Morning. The song's lyrics really have no connection to what we're seeing on screen when we first hear it. On screen, we see Liza's character, Pookie, waiting at a bus stop with her father, saying nothing, doing nothing, for the entirety of the song. The song details a happy trip the singers take with a friend on a Saturday. At the end, the singer promises to remember the day long after Saturday's gone. It feels very much in the folk music era, with smooth and unassuming lyrics welcoming us to the movie.
The song comes back about 40 minutes into the film, and here is where the song makes its connection to the film. It comes when Pookie spends a Saturday wandering around the countryside with that college student she met at the beginning of the film, named Jerry. Over the course of the day, Pookie and Jerry begin to fall in love despite their different personalities, and the song's more romanticized orchestrations help create that. Sandpipers, a trio of 25-year-old male singers, performed Come Saturday Morning, singing their first movie song after just a few years in the business. They were known for recording various international songs, such as Guantanamera in 1966. Their recording of Come Saturday Morning clicked with music lovers in January 1970, getting into Billboard Hot 100 and up to number 9 on the easy listening charts. Liza Minnelli recorded the song as well for her album Come Saturday Morning in 1969, the second album that Minnelli had released. But we 
Minnelli was still finding her way as a singer, and unfortunately the recording company she signed with in the 1960s didn't market her well enough. Her Come Saturday Morning album was deemed a flop. Also flopping at the time was Dory Previn's marriage to Andre Previn. In 1969, when Andre was working in London, he began an affair with the actress Mia Farrow, and Dory quickly began divorce proceedings. As she was celebrating her Oscar nomination for Come Saturday Morning, Dory was also working on a divorce settlement, much like Sammy Kahn when he won his Oscar for Call Me Irresponsible. Like Sammy Kahn, perhaps Dory Previn will be consoled by the Academy with an Oscar for her work. Fred Carlin had been working as a composer on films for just two years, writing the scores for the drama Up the Down Staircase in 1967 and the Lucille Ball comedy Yours, Mine, and Ours in 1968. He wrote the title song for Yours, Mine, and Ours with Ernie Sheldon, and it was an unimpressive first attempt at songwriting, but one that convinced director Alan J. Bakula to give him a shot at Come Saturday Morning based on the melody Carlin had put into his score. So these are all five great songs coming from five pretty good films. But none of them generated a tenth of the buzz that came from the movie Midnight Cowboy, starring Dustin Hoffman and John Voight as a prostitute and a con man who form a friendship. There's a rape scene in the movie, an implication that John Voight's character is gay, and numerous references to the sex worker industry. As a result, it got an X rating, which meant children were not allowed to see the movie, even with an adult present. There is the famous line, I'm walking here, that has helped the movie continue to last generations, and also the song, Everybody's Talking, the theme song of the film. Everybody's talking at me Can't hear a word they're saying Only the echoes of my mind I won't let you leave my love behind No, I won't let you leave The song wasn't one of the six Oscar nominations for Midnight Cowboy because the song wasn't written for the movie. Fred Neal wrote the song in 1966 for inclusion on the album featuring his name, and the song would have lapsed into obscurity if the director, John Schlesinger, hadn't picked it for the film's theme song. Everybody's Talkin' became a top ten hit for Harry Nielsen, the man whose version is featured in the movie and it gave Nielsen a Grammy for Best Contemporary Vocal Performance in 1970. Another movie that was creating a lot of buzz was the hip biker road trip movie Easy Rider. Written and directed by Dennis Hopper, with Peter Fonda also writing the script with Terry Southern, the movie featured Hopper and Fonda crossing the country with money made from a cocaine sale. Don Camburn, the film's editor, often played music from his record collection while editing the movie and decided to edit them into the film. Hopper wanted to use an existing Bob Dylan song, but changed his mind and asked Dylan to write the new, original theme song for the movie. Dylan reportedly wrote out the lyrics for three lines on a napkin, handed it to The Birds' lead singer Robert McGuinn to complete, which he did. That song is The Ballad of Easy Rider, and has a folksy feel that doesn't really mesh with the pre-existing rock songs that appear in the rest of the movie.
river flows It flows to the sea Wherever that river goes That's where I want to be Flow, river flow Let your waters wash down Take me from this road some other town All he wanted was to be free And that's the way it turned out to be Flow, river flow Let your waters wash down Take me from this road Bob Dylan didn't want his name associated with the song, even though he deserved credit for it. The song got past the preliminary rounds onto the list of the top 10, and if it had been nominated, there might have been a big battle between Dylan and the Academy over credit. I would imagine Dylan might have refused his nomination if it went all the way. As for the other songs in Easy Rider, they were not eligible for an Academy Award, but some of them did become big hits after their uses in the film. One of them was Born to be Wild, written in 1968 by Canadian songwriter Dennis Edmonton as a pop ballad but made into a rock anthem by Steppenwolf. It's played in the film while Hopper and Fonda are riding out in the desert with newfound friend Jack Nicholson. Born to be Wild became the most popular song from the film. So popular and so tied to the movie and its role in shifting the types of movies that were made that the American Film Institute named it as the 29th best movie song in the first 100 years of the movies. The Ballad of Easy Rider was likely nowhere near consideration. The new James Bond film in 1969 was On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And luckily for the songwriters, the film's title is not used for the song. And luckily for us, it was the only time non-actor George Lazenby would play James Bond. The song was called We Have All the Time in the World, written by John Barry and Hal David. For the first time since From Russia with Love, there's no song performance in the opening titles, only an instrumental theme from John Barry. I'm not sure why Barry didn't pick his Oscar-winning Born Free lyricist Don Black to write the song with him, but it's probably because Black was busy working with Elmer Bernstein and getting an Oscar nomination for writing the song True Grit. Probably worked out the best for Don Black. Hal David stepped in to work on We Have All the Time in the World to be used in a romantic montage featuring James Bond and his future wife, Tracy, as they begin to fall in love in Spain. Louis Armstrong sings the song, but he's not the one playing the trumpet. Armstrong was too ill at the time to perform the trumpet piece well, and his illness 
lends a bit of irony to the song, even more than the inherent irony, if you know that at the end of the film, Tracy is killed by Bond's arch-rival Blofeld. We have all the time in the world Time enough for life to unfold All the precious things love has in store We have all the love in the world If that's all we have, you will find we need nothing more. Every step of the way will find us with the cares of the world far behind. We have all the time in the world Just for now, nothing more, nothing less The title of the song comes from James Bond's final words in the film, but those words come almost two hours after the song is performed in the movie. But it lends a romantic feeling to the tragic end as Bond holds his dead wife. This song came just a year after Armstrong's iconic rendition of What a Wonderful World that has become a song standard even 60 years later to illustrate the beauty of the world in the midst of tragedy. We Have All the Time in the World was not another hit for Armstrong and the Academy Music Branch's issues with songs in James Bond movies continued. Five Bond songs had been written for the movie since 1963, and none of them got any attention from the Academy. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, none of the five song nominees in 1969 came from musical films, but there was a musical that had not one, but 11 songs that could have made the final five. In fact, one of them made the final ten. Leslie Brickus, who was an Oscar winner for writing the songs for Dr. Doolittle, composed songs that included And the Sky Smiled and Fill the World with Love for the musical Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Petula Clark sang those two songs in the movie and made them into fairly big hits in the United Kingdom, which should have helped it win favor with British Academy voters in the music branch. Fill the World with Love was the song that got onto the preliminary nominations ballot, but couldn't get past that. As always, we will start with the school song. In the morning of my life, I shall look to the sunrise. As a moment in my life when the world is new. And the blessing I shall ask is that God will grant me.
Brickus did earn an Oscar nomination for writing the entire song score under the revised category Best Score of a Musical, sharing the nomination with John Williams, who adapted the song melodies into his underscore. Seven of the top ten films of 1969 were represented at the Academy Awards ceremony on April 7, 1970. That helped explain why 43% of the homes in the United States were watching the telecast, with people wanting to see their favorite films of the year win awards, and to see the stars who acted in them. This is a ratings record that has never been broken or approached since. Many believe that the Super Bowl, which began airing on television in 1967, began to take away the draw of the Academy Awards as the top television event of the year, and now the Super Bowl is annually drawing a rating at or near 40%. With so many eyes and ears on the telecast, producer M.J. Frankovich needed to make the song presentation stronger than ever. Three of the original song performers came to the event to sing, but surprisingly, Rod McEwen was not one of them. In his place, R&B singer Lou Rawls performed Gene. The Sandpipers tried to boost interest in Come Saturday Morning with an earnest performance, and Glenn Campbell was on the stage to sing True Grit. But it was B.J. Thomas's performance of Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head that was a true performance. As much as it could be done, the scene from the movie was recreated on stage, with various couples dressed like Paul Newman and Catherine Ross riding bicycles around Thomas as he sang but then they did something that Newman and Ross definitely didn't do in the movie. They got off their bikes and launched into a two-minute dance routine, followed by people riding around on an oversized bicycle, a unicycle, and a tricycle. As great as the performance was, it wasn't the one that got the most press the next day. Everyone kept talking about Fred Astaire's appearance at the show, which was initially supposed to be just a presentation of the documentary awards. But after he gave the Oscar to Arthur Rubenstein, The Love of Life, for Best Documentary Feature, the 70-year-old Astaire launched into a dance to a mixture of funk and jazz conducted by Elmer Bernstein. It wasn't as acrobatic or daring as he used to bring to movie screens in the 1940s, but the reception showed how much Hollywood missed seeing him dance. It showed people how to age gracefully, the Los Angeles Times wrote in its review of the show. Burt Bacharach got the Oscar for original score near the beginning of the show, and the director figured that since most of the viewers didn't know who Burt Bacharach was, they kept cutting away to his much more famous wife, actress Angie Dickinson, as he gave his brief acceptance speech. Candace Bergen, who was still making a name for herself as an actress, was on hand to present the Best Song Award. The momentum was with Gene after its Golden Globe win two months earlier, but Raindrops was the one journalists were picking in the days before the ceremony. Bergen didn't bother reading the name of the winning song, only the winning songwriters, Burt Bacharach and Hal David. As they practically ran to the stage, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head played a rousing applause. Hal David didn't have much to say, but Bacharach, who was now holding two Oscars, said his four-year-old daughter was going to find both statuettes very special when he put them on his breakfast table in the morning. One has to wonder what it was like in the David family after this Oscar win. Hal David now had an Oscar, but older brother Mac never got one after eight nominations. It would be hard to believe that Mac David wasn't proud of his little brother for not only writing an Oscar-winning song, but a hit song. At that time, those two things were rarely connected. And despite what seemed like the beginning of a big career, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head was the last time Hal David would be nominated for an Oscar. But he's not done with songwriting. We'll hear a little bit more about him later in this podcast series. So things were probably A-OK in the David family, but the Previn family was definitely in shambles. Come Saturday morning was Dory Previn's final Oscar nomination, and after losing the Oscar in 1970, she finalized her divorce from Andre Previn that summer. Dory Previn kept her ex-husband's name 
and embarked on a solo singing career that was marginally successful. So as we prepare to close out the 1960s, it's becoming very clear that Hollywood is finally ready to embrace the new popular music sound, though not fully. As we'll see from the nominated songs from 1970, the Academy and filmmakers are still clinging to the golden age of songwriting in one last gasp before fully diving into the new decade. We'll find out what those five nominated songs are and what was passed over for a nomination in the next episode of the Best Song Podcast. Before we go, I want to thank Marcelo Cabral and Peggy Rupert for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening to the Best Song Podcast and for singing along with me. Let's do it again next time. The Best Song Podcast is not authorized or endorsed by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The show's creator, writer, producer, and editor is Jeff Cummings. All music clips are permitted for use under the Education Clause of the Fair Use Doctrine in United States law.